Amen. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody today? Awesome. Praise God. So glad you're here. So glad to be with you today uh, for the final week of our relationship series called It's Complicated. And I think that most of us, at least at the very least, would acknowledge that Oliver represents our secret self, right? Like you may never take action like Oliver did in that made up story, but you oftentimes like fantasize about it, right? Like you think about like what it might be like to get even with somebody or to get, get revenge or to take action or to return fire. Like we may never take action in that way, but we often kind of think about it, oftentimes think about it. So that's what I want to talk about with you today is the, the subject of where, where, where when we're wounded, when we're hurt, when somebody does something that harms us or they take something from us, how do we deal with that feeling of wanting to get back at them? How do I, what do I do with that inside my desire to want them to get what's coming to them or to get what they deserve, right? Like, so I want to talk about that today. Uh, this is the last part of a six-week series. If you missed any of the previous messages, they're all in our message archive on our website. Um, I would encourage you to do that. If you're brand new, uh, you're here in the last part of a six-week series, so you're you haven't gotten all the previous context, but all of it's available. You can do it on your phone app, the GT Church app, or go online to our website. And we talked about some different things, talked about how to adopt the mindset of Jesus in our relationships. We talked about how the best way to live in relationship with others is to embrace and adopt and live out the mind of Christ in our lives. We talked about the verse, Philippians 2.5 where Paul wrote, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. We talked about communication. Pastor Dan Sarna talked about communication. I talked a couple weeks ago about how to overcome offense. And many of you at times struggle with being offended, feeling offended, and not knowing what to do with those feelings. So if you missed that message, or if you need to watch it again, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I would encourage you to go and See it again, because I believe that God's word gives us hope on the, the area of how to overcome offense and even to become unoffendable in this life. And then last week, uh, I talked about trust issues. And if you have trust issues or you are in a relationship where you are looking to rebuild lost trust and you haven't had a chance to see that message, I would encourage you to check it out on line. So uh, buckle your seatbelt. I have a lot on my heart to share today. We're going to be looking at some of Paul's words in the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, an actual paper Bible, go ahead and hold up. I want to see how many people actually carry a Bible to church still. Okay, so nine of us. That's awesome. Yes. Woo. So I got my Bible here. I, I don't leave home without it. Well, that's not true. I sometimes do. But um, so grab your Bible or grab your digital Bible. Hold your digital Bible up, because all of you out, the rest of you all have a digital Bible, right? That's awesome. Um, go to Romans 12. We're going to actually look at the entire chapter of Romans 12 today. And it's going to feel like, um, let me caution you, as we read this, it, it might actually feel like a, a random assortment of topics, like thrown together in a pot and mixed up. Um, in fact, as we read this, you might think, are we just... Are we just like getting a glimpse of Paul's stream of consciousness? Like, is this just like Paul just as he thinks he puts things on the page and now we're reading it 2,000 years later? I want to assure you that at least what we believe in this church is as we read this, 
um, somewhat assortment of topics on relationship, what you are reading are the words of the Holy Spirit. We believe in this church that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so when we read this passage in Romans 12, written by the hand of the Apostle Paul, what I believe we are reading is, are the words of the Holy Spirit to us today. Uh, and, and I think that they apply in an, in an unbelievable way. And so I want you to really lean in today. And like I said earlier, not all of us, very few of us probably have ever actually taken revenge on somebody in an overt way, where we've actually, somebody has harmed us, insulted us, done wrong to us, and we actually plot, plotted some kind of way to get even, and we actually carried it out. This is the part where I don't ask you to raise your hand if you did that, okay? But not many of us have done that. However, many of us in this room, when some, some wrong has been done to us, we have entertained the thought of what it would feel like to get revenge, right? Or we've let our minds enjoy the thought of that person getting what they deserve by some other means. Now can you relate? Come on, be honest. Like, we all have had times where somebody insulted us or they, they took something that we felt belonged to us or they, they hurt us, they abused us, they were mean to us, they, they mistreated us, and we never planned on taking revenge and had an elaborate plot, but we have enjoyed the thought in here and in here of either of what it might be like if they got what's coming to them or... If somebody else, if, if by chance somebody else brought harm on them, I wouldn't be upset about it, right? Like that's, you know, that, that's a human, it's our human heart, the, our human nature. So I want to address that part of us today, that inner part that, well, I'm going to address it by way of the Apostle Paul, because these aren't my words, they're going to be the words of Paul to a group of believers in the city of Rome almost 2,000 years ago. Um, some of us have heard this phrase probably most of us, and I'm going to ask you to finish it. Revenge is a dish best served cold, right? You've heard the phrase, revenge is a, be a dish best served cold. And the thought there is that, you know, if you're going to take revenge on somebody, don't do it right away. Let them suffer with the thought of, well, man, that person's really angry at me. I wonder what they're going to do to get back at me. And so you're thinking, well, I'll just let it sit and simmer for a while and let them kind of labor over wondering what I'm going to do. But while, while they're laboring and worried about what you're going to do, something else is simmering in your heart. That's not healthy. And that's not of God, right? That doesn't belong there. And so that's, again, what I want to talk about. Another statement you may have heard, but probably didn't. I like this one. It says this, never go to bed angry. Stay up late and plot your revenge. Now, again, I'm not advocating that. Don't take that out of context and say that Pastor Scott said that we should do that. I'm not saying that. <coughs> um, <clears throat> but I think we can relate. Uh, and if you can't relate to anything I've said, I, I wonder if you relate to watching a movie where the star of the movie has been wronged in some egregious way. And you, you watch that person suffer. They, the, the writers of the movie allow you to build a bond with that character. You start to like that person. And then the next hour and 15 minutes of the movie 
is a story of how that person is elaborately planning their revenge on their enemy. There's a movie that my wife and I have watched several times uh, that tells just that story. There's a man um, in a different country who gets wrongly imprisoned. He gets wrongly imprisoned in this horrible confinement situation. He's quarantined from human contact. He gets beaten once a year. He writes the days, he scratches days on the wall. Eventually, after years, he finds a way to escape. That's the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Then the remainder of the movie is about his his plan to enact revenge on his enemy, the man who put him there. And if I'm being honest, I love watching him get even. Can anybody relate? Like, when we watch a movie and you see somebody who was wrongfully imprisoned or had a great wrong done to him, and then they tell you the story about how they get even against their foe, you are cheering inside. And at the end of the movie, when he gets to his revenge, I'm like, yes! He did it! Like, and, I, and then I'm like, maybe I shouldn't feel that way. Maybe that's not the right emotion that I... Maybe that's not the way that Jesus would view that movie. But there's a part of us, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a part of our human nature that wants people to get what they deserve. Can I get an amen, church? You're still with me, right? Okay. So grab your Bible, go to Romans 12, and we're just going to kind of walk verse by verse through this passage. And in my mind, in in my view, it really builds toward what happens at the end of the passage. So we're going to read the entire chapter because I think it points us towards where Paul wants to land the plane in this passage. And it starts like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the people of God. That's who I'm talking to today. You in here, joining us online, GT Live, Facebook, YouTube. Man, we love you. We're glad you're here. God's got something for you, wherever it is that you're joining us from. And this passage is written to you and to me. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let me just pause real briefly for station identification. And I want to remind you that if you are a child of God in this room, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have confessed your sin and received Christ as as Savior, then you are the object of God's mercy. You have received mercy from God, meaning that all of your past sins, your your bad behavior, your, your evil thoughts, none of that will have a consequence in heaven because of what Jesus did in your place on the cross 2,000 years ago. And Paul says what he's about to say about relationships, about setting forth the ideal of living the nature of Jesus in our relationships, Paul starts by saying, remember God's mercy in your life. He said, in view of God's mercy on me, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then this trademark verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Friend, if you are living out relationships the way that the world lives out relationships, Paul is telling you today, no longer conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And just, again, By way of an aside, if you have been seeking the Lord for his will in your life, 
you have a decision to make, you have a relationship where you're wondering about what is God's will. You've been asking God, praying, God, I need your will. I want to know what the will of God is for my life. Paul says the way that we obtain the will of God is by allowing the word of God to renew our minds and transform us from the inside out. And I just happen to believe that as we do that, as we renew our minds, the will of God starts to be revealed to us and we don't even realize it sometimes. And so the way that we acquire the will of God is through having our mind transformed. Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgments. And in week one of this series, I talked about the importance of living a life of humility. And we're going to see not only in this passage, but in passages all over the New Testament, you will discover that one of the primary mindsets of Jesus that we are invited to live out by power and being empowered by the Holy Spirit is the mindset of humility. And Paul repeats it here. We read it in Philippians. Now we read it in Romans. He said to have a sober judgment of yourself in accordance with the faith that God has given to you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul is talking now about the way that the body of Christ is so beautifully designed to be diverse. Amen, church? There's something beautiful about diversity. And when you just go ahead and look around this room, look around your home, maybe you have diversity at your house, like look around this room and you see the diversity of God. And it's not just by, by ethnicity or age or skin color. There is diversity in the way that you and I are wired to serve God. Paul's about to talk about the giftings of the Spirit and how all of us together are necessary and essential to make the body of Christ complete. And without every member doing its part, the body of Christ is still incomplete. And so he lists these gifts. Look at what Paul said. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And I just want to remind us today that the body of Christ is diverse by design. And it functions better in its diversity. And can I just remind you that some of you have a gift that God has placed inside of you that you are not yet using for the cause of Christ. Some of you, in my baseball athletic mindset, some of you are still on the bench in this life. God has specifically placed gifts in your life, spiritual gifts, that he put inside of you that he desires and equips you to use for the advancement of his kingdom on this earth. And you're still sitting on the bench. And can I lovingly encourage you today to go run after the service, run to our serve booth, run to one of our staff members and say, man, I'm on the bench and I want to get onto the field. I want to find the playing surface and I want to use whatever gift God has given me to be a ministry to other people. Whether it's kids ministry, student ministry, missions, maybe you, some of you are going to serve tonight at Glow in the Dark in one of our six locations 
and you are going to be a light for the gospel of Jesus somewhere. But if you are still on the bench, can I just encourage you to get off the bench, get onto the field, and use the gift that God has given you. Somebody say amen in this church. God has designed you in diversity to make this body complete. And without you, we are still incomplete. Without you, we are not at our best until you are serving in. And something happens when you serve. When you serve with the diverse body of Christ, you generate, it provokes in you a mutual love and respect and appreciation for other people because they are made in God's image, designed by him to do what they are called to do. And when we serve together, when we lock arms in the mission of God, we gain a, a unique perspective and appreciation for one another and how God has made us so uniquely and beautifully different in the body of Christ. Now he goes on. So Paul's about, so that's kind of like the, the framework. He lays this foundation for what he's about to say next. He's about to announce what I would think of as the relationship ideals of Jesus Christ. He's, gonna, he's about to reveal the nature of Jesus in relationships. So verse 9. And again, I, I want to encourage you just to listen for what's that one thing that the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today? What's that one nugget of truth that the Spirit of God is going to plant a seed in your heart that, that he's going to grow and produce a harvest in your life? Verse 9. Love must be sincere. And I might say that if love isn't sincere, then it isn't love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's that humility again. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, that's a gift, right? Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you are going to use that gift tonight as you sow seeds of the love of Jesus in our communities. Some of you have a gift of hospitality. Maybe you should be opening your home for a small group in our church so that people can come and you can use the gift of hospitality to bless people when they come to grow in their faith and in community with other believers. That's a gift that God wants to use. Again, the Holy Spirit laying forth the ideals of relationship. And let me remind you, I remind our, our, us often as this church that if you are going to try to do this on your own, you are without hope in this world. Every one of us in this room, everyone listening online, myself included, you and I have no hope of living out these ideals apart from the empowering work of the Spirit of God inside of us. But the good news is we are not without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Upon the moment of salvation, when you receive Jesus, he puts a deposit of the Spirit of God inside of you who will now energize these truths in your life. He will help you to live out these relationship ideals. So now, in verse 14, we get to the focal point of today. All of that was kind of window dressing. All of it's valuable, it's powerful, it's the truth of God's word, but this brings us to the focal point for today. Again, maybe you've already heard what the Holy Spirit brought you to, but this is what I want to focus on today. If you're listening, say amen. amen. If you're ready, say amen, because it gets hard now. 
Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Everybody say the word bless with me. Bless. The word bless literally means to praise and to celebrate. Now it gets hard. The relationship ideals, the nature of Jesus in us is to bless, to celebrate those who persecute us. Don't let anybody ever tell you that being a Christian is easy or that you have faith in God as a crutch for your life because living for Jesus is anything but easy. Bless and celebrate those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In fact, Paul is mirroring the words of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Look at what he says. Do not be proud, humility, but, in, but be willing to associate with people of low position, humility. Do not be conceited, humility. It's all over the writings of the New Testament. We are to walk with the humility of Jesus Christ. And then verse 17 and let me, let me preface this, okay? So everybody just look at me. Here we go, look at me. Look away from your digital Bible because I know what you're doing. You're not scrolling Facebook. You're not looking at your Instagram feed. You're reading the word, right? So, but just listen to me. So how many of you have toddlers in the house? Raise your hand. Like you've got three, four, five-year-olds in it. Man, bless you. I remember, to- how many of you had toddlers? Had three-year-olds, four-year-olds? Man, do you remember the time? I remember having toddlers in my house and that is a hard season of parenting, can somebody say amen, right? If you're still there, you're like, oh, praise Jesus, it's so hard. Like, it can be hard. And if you had toddlers, you probably remember going somewhere with your kids, whether you're going out to dinner, whether you're going to a friend's house, whether you're coming to church. And when you park the car and your toddlers are there, your five, six, eight-year-old is in the car, you might have done this. You might have listed a set of ground rules that they're to follow as they're about to go into the restaurant, into this friend's house, at the church. Like, you probably would say, now remember, just kids, just remember real quick, remember, remember. Don't do this, don't touch that, don't do this. Don't say that, don't bring this up, don't mention this. Don't, 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 don't. Anybody ever done that before? I've done that, right? Like, I've done that a million times. It's just reminders, right? Why, why do I do that? Why do you do this, parent? Because you know, you know the nature of your children. You know your kids. You know what they are naturally going to be inclined to do when they go into that setting. So, and sometimes your children find things to do that you never thought to not to tell them to do. They find, listen, they are good sometimes. You have children, some of you, that are very uniquely gifted at finding the loopholes. They find loopholes. Like, I had a loophole kid. I still have a loophole kid. He's just not, well, I don't want to tell you who it is, but I have a child who was so good at finding loopholes. And we would be out somewhere and he'd start doing something. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He's like, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't. <laughs> well, shame on me for not thinking to tell you to not do that thing. It would never cross my mind that you would do that. Can anybody relate? Like, you have one of those kids. We were in, we were in Central Park one time in New York City and he starts climbing the rocks all over. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't climb the rocks. I guess I should have thought, don't climb the rocks when you get to Central Park. 
So anyway, let me tell you the reason we're, what we're about to read, again, in my little twisted mind sometimes is I think that, I don't think, I know that the Holy Spirit knows our nature. I know that God knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows what we would be inclined to do if we lived by the way of this world. If we conform to the pattern of this world or if we simply give way to our fleshly, natural impulses, we are going to want to, when attacked, every one of us wants to return fire. We have a, there's a natural bent in our sinful nature to return evil when evil is done to us. Knowing that that is the case, let's see what Paul says. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I know some of you are, again, looking for the loopholes. There, I, I admit there's a loophole here, okay? So if you're li you like loopholes, there's a loophole here. Paul said, if it is possible. And I just want to be honest and be real. Some of you have been wounded by somebody close to you, and you know that you don't ever need to restore that relationship with that person. Victims of abuse may never restore that relationship. That does not mean that you don't have to release them of the, the pain they cause you. Some of you have been harboring things, and, and you still need to live at peace in here. And if you aren't willing to release somebody from the pain they cause you, you're never gonna, you will never, ever, ever, ever have peace in here. You may not have to restore that relationship because Paul said it may not be possible, but it doesn't mean that you don't take care of what's happening in here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And some of you, listen, I, I know, I've been in ministry here at this church for 16 years. I know, I know some of the stories. I've heard some of the heartache. I've walked with many of you through difficulty and fractured families. Uh, there are some marriages that are on the rocks in this room at 9 a.m. and online. There are some relationships that are in dire straits right now. I know some of the pain that you carry. But if, if I can just point us to the words of Paul, he said... Again, this is not just the words of an apostle writing to a church in Romans. These are the words of the Holy Spirit that transcend time. And he says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And I get, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. I believe it's, if I could illustrate, when we take action, when you and I decide, you know what, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I'm going to, because sometimes we, Sometimes, if you're being honest, you're crying out to God, God, when will you avenge me? God, did you see what that person did to me? Lord, do you know the hurt and pain I'm dealing with because of what they said, what they did, how they harmed me, what they took from me? God, do you even know when you feel like God's up there like this, like just kind of aloof? You're, you're, you're wondering, God, do you even know? Do you even see me? Do you even hear me? God, are you listening to my prayers? And you think that God has somehow just got his hands behind his back. And so you, because God isn't acting, you decide to take action. 
Well, if God's not going to do it, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it. It matters in my own hands. Can I tell you what, what I read in Romans 12, 19? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. If you do this, if you do take action, the Bible says God is going to stand off. Because if you take action, God says you haven't left room for me to work. And I can guarantee you that the outcome will be much better if you'll simply do this and let God have room to work. Now, he may not do what you hope he does, okay? Don't think that God's going to take action the way that you hope he takes action. Because while the Bible says it is mine to avenge, I will repay, God is going to judge sin someday, but it may not be this day. But the Bible says that we're to just relax, give God space, give him room, let him take action. Some of you may have heard these phrases about taking revenge. Revenge is like biting a dog because the dog bit you. Now, now none of us are going to do that, right? Revenge is, listen, I love this. This will probably hit some of you between the eyes. Revenge is the weak pleasure of a little mind. And I, I can confess very freely that there have been times where my mind has been little where I have, I have allowed and enjoyed letting my mind wander about people that I think haven't got what they deserved. And I, I let my mind wonder what it would be like if that person got what I think they deserved. Every one of you has done the same. You may never take action. You may never be that kind of person that's actually going to take action and hurt somebody in return. But you're taking action in your head and you're taking action in your heart. And that stuff, when we let it sit there and simmer long enough, we let it kind of fester, that will grow something undesirable in your life and in your heart. One more. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves, because both of you will have a consequence if you take revenge into your own hands. So, so what's the remedy? So what do I do? Somebody's hurt me. They've insulted me. They've harmed me. I, I'm, I'm damaged. Like, what do I do? There's a, there's a remedy. And Paul gives it to us. He said this, on the contrary. Everybody say that, those words with me. On the contrary. On the contrary. Here's the remedy. Here's, what do I do, God, if I need revenge on somebody? Here's what Paul said. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. We've said before that the kingdom of God, in many ways, is simply inverted from the kingdom of this world. That's why Paul started with, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because the way of the world is perfectly inverted from the way of the kingdom. If you're going to live out the values of Jesus Christ in many ways, you will just do the opposite of what your natural inclination is to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's the remedy. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The remedy for evil, the remedy for revenge is to overcome evil with good. To allow the Holy Spirit to move me to wish well for that person 
that harm me. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. I want to roll over to some words that Peter spoke on the same topic. And you might, you might wonder, well, is Peter qualified to talk about revenge? If you're a church person, you, you might know a little bit about Peter. Peter is that person in your life that says something and then a minute later thinks about what they just said. In fact, some of you parents probably told, have told your children before, can you please just think before you speak? And if you haven't ever said that, I'm giving you a gift right now. There it is. Like, if you're a parent, remind your children. That's one of the things that I would say to my kids. Can you just remember to think before you speak? Because there are people whose mouths just get out in front of their brain. Are you, don't, if you're with them, don't say that, okay? But we know people like that. Can I tell you that Peter was one of those people? Peter, the apostle Peter, was one of those people who, whose words and actions in revenge usually got out in front of his brain and got out in front of his thought. But Peter was revolutionary and radically transformed when the Holy Spirit came upon him in Acts chapter 2. Then Peter became one of the proclaimers of the gospel. That Peter writes these words. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. There it is again. Peter says, be humble. Look at what he says. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And he uses the same phrase, on the contrary. Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. I love that phrase. If not for any other reason that God tells us through the writing of Peter to repay evil with good and evil with blessing, the reason is why do we do that? Because you and I, as the people of God, as the people who are ambassadors of Christ, who reflect the nature of Christ to this world that needs to see him, this is our calling, church. He said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with a blessing, because to this you were called. You and I, everybody, front row to top of the, the room online, we are called by God Almighty to repay evil with blessing. Why? So God will do it here. No, look at what he says. So that you may inherit a blessing. By definition, that means that you may not see it in this life. Because your inheritance and my inheritance will be received when I die from this earth and, tr and move into my existence in heaven with God. There is an eternal glory that outweighs anything that we will receive in this life. And Peter says that you will inherit a blessing, but it may not be in this life. But something will happen in you. When you repay evil with evil, guess what wins? Evil wins, right? If you take in the couples class, my wife loves that phrase. If, if you fight evil with evil, only one of those two is going to be victorious, and it's either evil or evil. And when we fight evil with evil, evil will always, always, always win. And Peter says, don't fight evil with evil, but with good. Return evil with a blessing because we're called to this, and we will inherit a blessing when we live that way. And there's only one way to do that. The only way that you will ever be empowered to live out this promise, to live out good for evil, 
is when you decide and you are empowered by God to forgive others as Christ forgave you. I want to read one more passage and then we're going to watch a video together. A powerful story of redemption. In, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You don't forgive someone because they deserve it. And you don't be, forgive someone because you are so good at life. The, the cause, the motivation, the reason why we forgive is because we are forgiven. Remember where Paul started this whole text? Therefore, my, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... You have been the, you are the recipient of the mercy of God because of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins and you now have received forgiveness from every wicked thought and deed that you have ever done and ever will do and it's in light of that that you choose to release others of the debt they owe you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is the remedy to revenge. We're going to watch a story here of a couple in our church. They, they were willing to share their story. It's a very transparent story. Um, as you listen, it may, may trigger some things in you. It's a, an emotional story, but I believe it's a powerful story that can minister to some of you here today. Check out the screens. We met at the University of Valley Forge, so that's where we both went for our undergrads. We had a class together. And I think on the very first class, you know, I saw her and I said something to her. And from that point on, I was like, oh boy. We did a lot of ministries together in the beginning because there's, at the University of Valley Forge, we have a lot of student-led ministries. And so that's where we started really connecting. I felt like I was home when I was with him. So being with him just to feel safe and feel like I can be myself, that was, that stood out to me. So we got engaged our junior year at school, mm -hmm. and we were married in May of 2008. Working. We were both working. We were both working, yeah, both in school full time. The early days of marriage were really difficult, uh, really challenging for me. My expectations were just completely unrealistic. Um, I took it out on Michael a lot, and that caused a lot of, a lot of arguments in our first several years of marriage. This time too, we were both kind of struggling with our faith, I think, our church attendance, definitely. Yeah. The things that we sought out for support were leading us down you know, a path that just wasn't what God had intended for us. And then before you know it, we're five, six years into it, I started to get like just resentful. I think too, just the slow drifting process from kind of drifting away from the Lord and drifting towards the things of the world, like my own beliefs became very confusing to me. And so as I had kind of this stuff running through my head and meanwhile I had resentments that had just been building for years against Michael, at the same time I'm starting to get attention from other men. And I could feel myself kind of drifting into a relationship that I knew was inappropriate 
So I would tell people about it to kind of say like, hey, this is going on. But I sought out people that were not believers who I knew were gonna tell me what I wanted to hear. I couldn't stop. I couldn't get out of it because it, it felt like it was healing a hurt in me. Before this all came out, we were planning on separating we were fighting and we just couldn't, you know, we didn't think we could rectify it, so we were gonna separate. We were gonna go to counseling and I was just gonna tell him in that first counseling session, like, I've been having an affair and I don't wanna be married anymore. Thanks for the memories, <laughs> you know? And in my like deception, just thinking that that was a good plan. But what ended up happening was that Michael did find out, obviously was extremely hurt and upset and a lot of people found out. Um, and so I kind of couldn't hide from this mess that I made. At this point in time, we had been going to church and the first thing I did was turn to some of my Christian friends and, and, and share. My, my brother-in-law too, he, he was a big part of it that kind of helped my family, you know? Um, and they all just started to, to pray with me. Here I had lost, you know, my family and my job and my reputation, my, a lot of my friends that I was hanging out with that I thought were my friends. And so I had nothing. And I think that I needed to get to that place where I realized just how little I had of myself to know how much I needed God. In that, I still didn't know if Michael and I had a future. I think we both maybe weren't even sure that we wanted a future together, but I knew that I did not have God's blessing to leave my marriage, and I had to just focus on God. It didn't take me too long to remember what God once did in my life. God really started to soften my heart towards that and towards forgiveness, and what does that look like? And then I would, I would reach out to people to help me with forgiveness. Then we started to go in marriage counseling, which helped, and then, and then the best thing happened after that. So I um, had kept seeing the sign for Celebrate Recovery at our church, and it intrigued me every time I saw it. And I didn't really know if there was a place for me there, but when I was in my desperation, a friend had said, you know, why don't we just go check it out, I'll go with you. And I just felt so at home, and I felt so accepted by them, and I had never experienced that in church. And so I felt like the, it was a place for me, and I went, I think, every single week. You know, these things don't just change overnight, though. We had animosity towards each other. We had, uh, you know, distrust. We, we had resentment. We had lots of hurts that were created. You know, I never, have been in a state like this where I'm living with someone that I distrust so much. And that was, that was extremely difficult to go through. I mean, I don't wanna speak for you, but I feel like part of what you had to do for your healing was to come to terms with the fact that even though you didn't know if you could trust me, that you could trust God. And that's what kept exactly. you moving forward mm -hmm. and you know, opening was... yourself up to healing and the possibility of reconciliation for our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was so difficult. I mean, it, it, was, it was everything. I didn't believe anything that, that she said to me. And it was so hurtful, but exactly what you said, I had to just give that to God. And I was in a wrestle with him because I would put it and take it, like instantly take it back, like put it and take it back. And for months, 
just because every, every, you know, I was triggered by every little thing. And then I could start to see the change in her and it made me angry. <laughs> I got angry, I got angry at like God because I, I wanted to be justified, you know, because I was angry, I was hurt. And when she started to connect and to get, and to get in right relationship with God and God started to change her, I didn't want that in the beginning. Like I did, you know, but I was, it made me more angry because I wanted to be justified in my anger. I've never been to a celibate recovery. I remember you asked me a couple times before I actually went. And it just felt the prompting that like I should go for her. I should go for her. I should support Danae. And the first part was cool. It was like a church service, but then you break out into the breakout sessions, the second half. And, and the first, topic that came up in the uh, open share session was anger. There's probably eight men in that room. They're all talking about their anger and their emotional challenges. And for me at this point in time, it was um, disarming. <laughs> it was disarming. And I, I came to tears and just realized that that was me. Angry at everything. Angry at her, of course, big time, but even angry at God, like very angry at God. about face together. I started to learn how to trust her again. A lot of what needed to happen with me is I needed to get my eyes off of Michael and stop allowing my happiness to revolve around Michael and where he was at and what he was doing. So even though part of me was getting excited and I could see things were softening in our relationship, it still was very much that but don't put your hope that there. That was kind of our whole recovery journey too, was as I'm walking my path with God and Michael's walking his path with God, then God, like without us even realizing it or trying, God brought yeah. our paths together and then it's like, oh hey, we're walking in sync now, you know? Yeah, that was the only way that yeah. it could work is just keep your eyes, you have to keep fixed on him. I, I, I think we could probably preach 12 sermons from some of the things they said in that video. So many um, powerful statements, so many relatable statements. Some of you uh, related to some of the things that were said there by Michael and Danae. Uh, they still, if you're wondering, they do lead Celebrate Recovery here on a Thursday night. You're welcome to visit them in the Next Gen Center. Um, thank you to them for being willing to share their story. I, I was excited. I, I had heard their, them share their story in a different uh, setting, and I, I asked them if they'd be willing to share it here because I felt like the story offers so much hope. Uh, some of you are in fractured relationships here. It might be your marriage. It may not. It may be a friendship. It may be you haven't spoken with a cousin or an aunt or a parent in a long time, and you should be believing God that you are called to live at peace with those people. And I just felt like their story speaks so much hope to all of us because there, you, can't, you can hardly find a relationship that should have ended more easily than Michael and Danae. There was no reason that you would think that they could be restored. But with God, all things are possible. When I heard their story, I thought of the resentment, the drift. Uh, I, I heard a warning in there. If you are in a, a relationship, if you're married and you are in a difficult marriage and you are getting relationship advice from the world, 
I felt a warning in there for you. Please stop. I'd, be, I'd beg you to find a godly, Bible-centered, Christ-centered friend and talk with them, not with somebody who's going to give you ungodly advice. I thought about the prayer, the anger, the distrust, the triggers, you know, but the Ultimately, obviously, they forgave one another. That they didn't take out revenge. They forgive. They walk in forgiveness every day. But I love how they close. You know, the, the last thing that was said was to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's, that's a place you'll never go wrong, church, is when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you may need to go back and reread the passages I've, I've exposed today. Romans 12, 1 Peter, Colossians. You might need to read them every day. Um, just to wash over your spirit, your soul, but you'll never go wrong by fixing your eyes on Jesus. And he will point you in the right direction. I want to close in a very specific way. I'd like to invite you to stand today. And we're going to close service. I want to read, I want to read something that I didn't read yet. <clears throat> it's from the passage that, that Peter gave us. He said, I'm going to reread, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. This is what I didn't read. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and live and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And this is what I want to close with. And so this is how we'll close today. Some of you just need to stay in your seat and just find a place of worship and prayer. Our team's going to come and lead us in a song. Maybe, maybe you need to come forward, and we're not going to press you to do that, but if you want to find a place to pray around the altar and you want somebody to join you, you can do that as well. But I'm going to read this verse over us and remind us of what Peter said in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. Church, can I remind you today that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Hannah shared earlier, you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. You are his righteousness. And the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to your prayers. We're going to sing a song just to close the service today. Then I'll come back and dismiss us. But man, just find a place. Just worship, pray. God is listening to your prayer. And he wants to come to your aid. He wants to intervene in that situation. And he wants to redeem and restore what has been lost and broken in your life. Let's worship the Lord together today. Oh,